Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. How should the city be tackling homelessness? It is a cold, snowy winter. And we're in a mayoral election year. So we have wasted no time getting candidates Rocky Anderson and Michael Valentine on the record with their policy proposals. Today, we bring you the final installment in our three interview series. Current Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall answers my questions about homelessness. As always, we edit our conversations for length and clarity. It's Thursday, March 2nd. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, you've been in office for three years now. In a couple sentences, how would you characterize your approach to homelessness in Salt Lake City? It is the number one issue that I and my team deal with on a day-to-day basis, and it has been since the beginning. But I would say that the relationship that surrounds that work has shifted pretty dramatically in those three years. Hmm. How so? In the beginning and for probably a couple decades previous, the city really stood alone. We came in, there was no winter shelter. It was the first winter without the road home downtown. And we needed a place for people to go. The The state needed a place, but no one was doing anything about it. So we opened Sugar House DI. We worked again the next year with Switchpoint to open The Point, which became permanent supportive housing. And then Ramada on North Temple last year. But what changed is that we've been able to cultivate more responsibility with our state and our county partners. I think that should have been there the whole time. But the way that the city has failed to build those kind of longstanding and productive relationships over the previous years meant that not only Salt Lakers, but legislators and the rest of the state has seen historically homelessness as quote, Salt Lake City's problem to deal with, and even casting blame about where homelessness comes from and um, having a myopic focus on the capital city, which is really shifting right now. Well, and I think that does feel like the predominant tension, but a lot of even Salt Lakers feel like, well, this is the capital city, right? So how much of this work is the city's responsibility. We take it very seriously. And I want to just mention that the solution to homelessness is housing, but that we've also been on a course since the early 80s in the Reagan administration where uh, mental health was basically decimated. The federal government failed to replace any network of access to mental health needs at the community level and found finally a program and a model specifically for the those suffering from mental illness who are living on our streets 
in Miami, Florida, which Florida is not a place that I've typically looked for inspiration from. I mean, it is my home state, so <laughs> no I often find inspiration there. But <laughs> Politically, Allie, that is just not my sister city. <laughs> but they are doing a fantastic job specifically related to those suffering with mental illness on the streets who in most other states and including our state ends up being a criminal justice cycle where they don't receive the treatment and the support that they need and they don't get permanent supportive housing as easily as other people who go through the services system. I do want to linger on this question for a minute of the city's responsibility though, because I am curious in terms of the nuts and bolts of getting people sheltered, especially in a winter, what is the city's responsibility in your view? Our responsibility is to bring the other partners who have the funds and frankly the authority to help complete the picture of answering the questions that have remained unanswered around homelessness. For the city, it's our authority through the state as it is for any city to do land use. So that means zoning, of course, but it also means making sure that our zoning not only invites affordability, but perhaps even requires it in order to build new buildings in Salt Lake City. And then we get into financing. Um, In the state of Utah, cities can't do inclusionary zoning, which happens in a lot of other states, where you could say within a quarter mile or half mile of fixed transit, like our track system, If you're going to build multifamily, you have to include X percentage affordability. You can't do that in the state of Utah, basically unless the city fully funds that. And when you can't control the market, then you don't know if you'd be able to fund every piece of affordability being required within it. So instead, we put a lot of money on the table. We use low interest financing and we put it out there for the private market who is building a lot of housing to the tune of more than 11,000 permitted units in the year 2021, just in Salt Lake City. But in order to use our money, you have to include affordability. And we do deed restrictions to make sure it lasts. And that's been the way that Salt Lake City's worked within sort of the confines of our state code, which we have had to be creative with. In addition to that, we're doing things like using our zoning and changing our zoning to allow for tiny homes. And that was a a vision that I wanted to bring to Salt Lake City that I've seen work in other parts of the country, particularly in sort of enticing people who have been chronically homeless, who may typically say no to congregate shelter situations like our homeless resource centers, but who would say yes to that, that dignified living situation of having their own place their own front door. As I have been out on the street meeting people over the years that I've been doing public service, meeting people in the midst of a blizzard or late at night and have said to people, if we, if we have a van, if we could bring it up, would you come to the shelter right now? We, ha- we have a bed for you. And time and again, people told me, no, I, I don't want to go to the shelter. That's not a place that works for me. I don't feel comfortable. A number, as reasons as unique as each individual. So I think it's the city's responsibility not only to make sure affordability can find an an easy path here in the private market work that's happening to dramatically grow the housing situation in Salt Lake City, but also to change our codes and put the money on the table in a creative way 
that creates different types of housing. Well, we talked to Salt Lake City Planning Director Nick Norris a couple weeks ago, and he told us it is difficult to convince developers to build affordable housing because they want to make a profit, of course. But you are the executive director of the city's redevelopment agency in your role as mayor. Why not leverage this institution to just go full speed ahead with buildings that are city-owned already? The RDA actually has been tremendously successful in the last three years at getting affordability built into private development. So historically, uh, the RDA hasn't really needed to be the owner and operator. And we don't want to build projects. And we've seen the projects happen over the course of American history uh, where it, it does not breed a thriving neighborhood environment when you have government-owned, exclusively low-income housing situations. What we have seen success with here locally and, and nationally in the last decade or so are these mixed-income housing developments where you have both market rate and affordable and deeply affordable combined into one building. And when we build, when anybody builds exclusively low-income businesses in that area, they have a hard time thriving and surviving. We've seen that along North Temple for decades. We know that in some areas, even though we need affordability throughout the city, there are some neighborhoods in the city that need a lot more market rate so that they can foster the kind of business, small business environment that uh, makes thriving neighborhoods happen. So the city has found success in creating affordability through the private market with about 2,500 units in the last three years, which is quite a lot, actually, especially when you look historically. Salt Lake City didn't invest a penny in affordable housing before 2009. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So it sounds like to me, the answer to my question of what is the city's role in all of this your view is it's preventative. It's no. creating housing so that we don't, you don't, well, is I, that not enough? I would say it's three things. It's convening, like bringing our partners to the table. Mm -hmm. It's funding and it's land use and zoning. And the, the funding has been, as I said, really increased in the last few years. The zoning is something we're still working with where we saw single room occupancy zoning expanded by the council last year that we brought to them. We saw tiny homes approved. We have another tiny home ordinance before the council in the next couple of months. And coming up with our affordable housing plan, it's included in our thriving in place, our gentrification mitigation plan. And between bringing our partners to the table, putting the money on the table, and then creating the zoning context for more diverse types of housing and more affordable housing to happen, that is a powerful combination that is partially preventative in keeping people in their homes, but we're also, you know, we're gonna be opening more than 400 permanent supportive and transitional housing units by April 15th when the winter shelters close. Like that's the kind of massive step forward that I wanna see again next year and the next year, but we can't do it alone. The state funded most of that. So we're really seeing the dial shift on the convening part and the partnership. And that's the long-term progress that I don't think we've seen as a city before. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? 
Harmons makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's hot cross buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. I want to talk a little bit about the situation right now with shelters. You initiated a moratorium on permanent homeless shelters, which the city council then extended. What did you hope to accomplish with the moratorium? I hope to accomplish what was becoming a reconcentration of services only four years after the state decided to close the downtown road home shelter where we'd concentrated services for a few decades and where on a winter night you could have 1100 people you know crammed in to get off the street which was good to have a place a low barrier shelter place that people could go but it was really not succeeding in connecting people with the housing and the services in particular because it was a one-size-fits-all for everybody the state really led in saying we're going to put these specific homeless resource centers one for men single men, one for single women, and then one that allows couples to come in together into the shelter. And, you know, they eliminated about 300 beds in the system by doing that. And it's not crazy math that we end up needing 300 to 400 more overflow beds each winter since they did that. So the, the system that was meant to go well on paper years ago didn't. And when we had the detox center on 300 West that is owned by Volunteers of America, we became aware that Shelter of the Homeless who owns the shelters was going to purchase that from VOA to potentially turn into another shelter without any public process, without any planning with the city. It would have basically triangulated the two new homeless resource centers with this new third one and reconcentrated homeless services, the majority of them for the county, right back into one neighborhood. So we needed to figure out, which is what this ordinance is all about, how does the city accept applications and be able to consider them in the context of where they're applying to operate? The ordinance itself actually expands places in the city where homeless shelters can happen from the way it has been previously. And just for listeners, that hasn't that's still in the process with our city council, so we'll see what they end up determining on it. But I think the context of a neighborhood, like what it's close to, whether that's transit, groceries, job centers, schools, single-family homes, multifamily homes, retail, etc., it was a really important part of our process to cite the two homeless resource centers that we did five years ago, and it needs to be in the context of how we cite future resource centers in the future. That was our hope. Would it be fair to say that your hope was that the moratorium would encourage other cities to open shelters? No, I don't think that it has a direct line on that. But we have seen 
with the state's leadership in the legislative session of last year, the process that invited, I'll say, city mayors from Salt Lake County to come together and suggest a site for the winter shelter, that was, it was actually a phenomenal change. No other cities were talking really about what are we gonna do this winter when there's not enough beds for the last three years. Mill Creek did step up two years ago and had a, a small winter shelter for single men that served about 60 people. We're grateful for that, but this by no means was a countywide conversation. But with our partnership with the state and county mayor, we did that process this year. And as you probably know, Mill Creek has an old county library site that's been open for winter overflow. The intention, I think the gesture is really in the right direction that we look beyond South Salt Lake, Midvale, and Salt Lake City, who host the homeless resource centers today. But the product ultimately was overwhelmingly insufficient. You know, we needed a 400-bed location, and we got about 100, 120 out of the Mill Creek. And in addition, it's only open at night, and then everyone is bussed back downtown and dropped off in Rio Grande. That's not a solution, and it's really sad. It's disappointing. It's heartbreaking that we have a state with a billion dollar budget surplus and there are people being dropped off in the snow every morning, all winter. Well, and I think the conversations I hear among Salt Lakers too are a misunderstanding of the decision to transport people away from services. Because you pointed to the fact that like the bulk of services are downtown. You've got Fourth Street Clinic, you've got Rescue Mission, Crossroads, et cetera. How did we end up with a solution where we do bus people away from services? And why is that a good thing? There is no incentive or teeth, frankly, for a city to say yes to a winter overflow shelter. It's honestly by the good of Mayor Jeff Silvestrini's heart that that thing exists in Mill Creek. There is no reason for another city to step up and say, we will be a partner and host. And I think that needs to be there. So what that likely means is the state deciding, hopefully with cities and the county, that they will pick up the mantle of creating some additional shelter and I hope it includes a sanctioned camp or RVs to park that right now are scattered around cities on roadways and that it could flex as a winter overflow as needed and have the capacity to do so and keep people out of the weather 24 hours a day if they want to be inside. It sounds like everyone kind of knew that the Mill Creek option was going to be insufficient as an overflow shelter. Did Salt Lake City put forth an option for an overflow shelter this year? Yeah, we did. We were one of about nine cities who identified a couple of buildings that could be considered. Do they have bathrooms? Are they heated? And what would transportation needs be for any of these given idea sites? And then the state, uh, Wayne Niederhauser's office, took that list and basically helped us shape up what would work and what wouldn't work. So let's say there was a empty grocery store in a city that was heated and could host several hundred people overnight. That city would still have to allow through a temporary land use ordinance for that to happen on that site. Because if it's a grocery store, it's not allowed to be a residential use unless you make it so through your city council. And quite honestly, there are cities who were not gonna help they weren't going to participate. 
You mentioned that one of your hopes is that we can look at sanctioned camping in the future, but you've said in the past that you don't support sanctioned camping. What's led you to change your mind? Actually, I didn't. And when people say that, they're cutting half of my sentence off. What I have said is I don't support the city owning or operating a sanctioned camp. That's not something that this city or any city can successfully do on their own, especially when we don't receive any money for doing resource centers, sanctioned camps, and the operations they're in. Just this last year, Salt Lake City began to get mitigation dollars from the state the way that uh, Midvale and South Salt Lake have for years. Salt Lake City was guaranteed zero because of, honestly, relationships between the city and the state with previous mayor. Uh, we were cut out from any support, and those mitigation dollars just began flowing into Salt Lake City in July, and they're directed not at operations of a shelter, but at preserving some safety and, and quality of life in the communities that host resource centers. Now, there's a lot of conversations with the Utah Homeless Council about mitigation dollars being considered to support operations, but cities have never been the pass-through for that. It's always come from the state and the county and philanthropists paying for operations. But sanctioned camp, an RV parking lot, and perhaps a place that includes overflow capacity indoors is absolutely something we need to see, we want to see, and that we'd consider partnering to have happen. But this needs to be led by the state and the county. The kinds of questions I'm asking you are the kinds of questions that I feel like I hear people asking each other day to day in this city. And one of them is, okay, while we have this conversation about sanctioned camping and who hosts it and how it's funded and where it happens, why can't we put porta potties and dumpsters near camps so that people can keep their space clean and prevent health hazards? Like, this is a city with so few public restrooms. It doesn't give a lot of options. These feel like sort of humane, common sense solutions to the average Salt Laker, I think. Yeah, we have done uh, sort of roaming porta potty stations. We had one off of Fleet Block in 20 and 21. We have moved them around from locations and we installed what's called the Portland Loo, the permanent outdoor bathroom situation when the road home downtown was still open. And that restroom is still there. The issue is also that we needed around the clock staffing or whenever the restrooms were unlocked and available, we had to employ people to make sure that people use the restrooms for that purpose because they became places where basically drug deals would happen and drug use. And sometimes people would not come out of the restrooms for a very long time. And so with the abatements happening and closing encampments, according to the camping ordinance in Salt Lake City, uh, moving the porta potties and accommodating what ultimately has become short-term camps wasn't feasible anymore. But I do agree that, especially with the closures in 2020 of public spaces like libraries and small businesses where people who are living on the street could go in and use a restroom, when we lost all of those spaces, it became extra obvious that we needed more public restrooms. That's when the porta-potties came out um, and we're moving around the city. But I think in the long term, our public buildings are also there for the public to use if they need a restroom. But I'm not opposed to us looking at more 
permanent restroom situations. Obviously, there has been criticism by unsheltered Salt Lakers and homelessness advocates around camp abatements in the past couple of years. We know this is something that the city and the county health department partner on in tandem, and we understand why it's necessary for health and safety, but is there not a better way? I think that the better way is that there's a sanctioned place where people can go and know that they will not have to be moved. And again, the city can't do that on our own, but the state and the county who have funding for those kind of operations could do that. And we, they know, and, and we are in pretty constant conversation about how that could happen. But if you, if you focus in on just the abatements as they happen today, that's a really good question for Angela Dunn, who runs the Salt Lake County Health Department. And when her team that leads abatements goes into any city to do those cleanings, they ask that that city's team of both public safety with the police officers and other staff um, to help them do those cleanings. So we, we work with them as partners. We coordinate with them in determining which camps are have come up to that level. They need to be abated. And that is a, a pretty constantly evolving conversation. So if there's ways to do it better, I know that we want to hear it. And we're also hearing it all the time and working with the county on trying to evolve those circumstances. But it's the county that has the authority to do an abatement, not a city. There are people who are on the city justice court schedule right now who've been cited for camping. Would the city consider changing its no camping ordinance? No, we wouldn't. When we look at cities who have allowed sanctioned camps to crop up um, sort of naturally, you know, and then and then sanction them because they're there. We have not seen good things happen for those individuals living in those camps. Um, more reluctance to engage in services. And our purpose here every single day and with every action we take around homelessness should be to connect people with services and get people into housing that works for them, into shelter that works for them. Salt Lake City, the state of Utah, can do better than people in canvas tents outside. We have to do better. We should have the pods that are happening in Reno right now, tiny pods that have mini splits, heaters and coolers and have enough space for someone's belongings and a bed. They're not that expensive really. And that's the kind of sanctioned camps that I'm encouraging and working with Wayne Niederhauser in the state to help create. And we would help to create them in every way that we possibly can as a city, from funding to partnership and zoning. But just allowing people to have no better option is not a solution for us. We can do better than that. Our state has enough money for that. And they have local partners in Salt Lake City who wanna see that happen. So that's, that's our goal. That's what we're going for. I open by asking you about your philosophy on this issue, but in three years as the city's chief executive, I have to imagine that you've learned a lot. <laughs> so reflecting on your first term as our leader, is there anything you would change about how your administration has handled homelessness in the city? That's a good question. And I honestly think that we're adapting every week in how we handle homelessness. We've had to handle a whole lot in three years citywide, you know, and nationally too. I mean, the, the context of having a global pandemic, also of having state and county receive millions of dollars to help lease motels and hotels that were vacant to get people off the streets, 
um, and not have them go into congregate shelter never happened before. And now those dollars are gone. And we're evolving around um, realizing the economic shifts that happen. So I think for one, um, we saw a lot of hotels and motels go up for sale. And now they're all gone. They've all been bought up. But I wish we would have known early on that um, we could purchase those and we could have transformed them perhaps more quickly into permanent supportive housing. But we, I think we did the best that we can with what we know at the time. And my invitation to our team that we work with at Salt Lake City is to be constantly curious about how can we be better tomorrow and that as public servants, we are listening and we're being told in really clear terms from residents across the board who have really different opinions and some have louder voices than others. Uh, We're listening all the time and we want to evolve we want to do this better. And most of all, we don't, we should not do this alone. We don't want to do this alone. And it is not a solution for us to do this alone. We need the state and we need the county, not only because they have money for things we don't, but because they have authorities that we don't. So we're going to keep changing. That's, that's our job. Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, Ellie. You heard Mayor Mendenhall say that before 2009, Salt Lake City didn't invest a penny in affordable housing. We were curious about this idea, so we followed up with the city to clarify. They told us that in their view, facilitating affordable housing by waiving fees or making loans is different from the city itself writing direct checks to fund it. So it seems like a matter of whether you think facilitating something is the same as making a direct financial investment. Now this year, you won't just have a mayor on your ballot. Some city council seats are up for election as well. Alejandro Puy in District 2, which is Poplar Grove and Glendale on the west side. Ana Valdemoros in District 4 downtown. And Dan Dugan in District 6 along the east bench. But let's talk about those races when the days start getting longer. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you missed my conversations with mayoral candidates Rocky Anderson and Michael Valentine, go check them out. They both make their case for how they would approach homelessness in our city. And we will be back tomorrow morning with our Friday News Roundup. Bye for now.